started with uh, the way of Cain and uh, started that out and I preached a message on that and then Grant preached an awesome message right there in those same lines and then uh, we looked at, last week we looked at the way of Balaam uh, which is greed in the church and took a look at that and so we've been just looking, been using uh, the book of Jude as um, just kind of what it's intended for which is a, um, just a troubleshooting on error. You know, there's, there's truth and there's error. And then there's one other thing, or two other things actually in Jude. There's the way of Corey, or Corey, or however you want to pronounce it. And that's talking about rebellion against God-appointed leadership. Um, but we're not going to, I don't really feel led to, die, to delve into that. Uh, but the final thing that I want to take a look at is, um, let's take a look, let's open it up in Jude, please. And this will be the final Final chapter of this, and then we'll, we'll, we'll get started in something else next week, but we'll conclude this today. Um, but the book of Jude, man, it's a really short book, but it's really powerful, and it's just got a lot to say um, about, you know, just staying true to the course and, and staying away, you know, from error. But, um, and so this will be our final one, and Jude chapter 1, and in verse 4, it says, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord into lewdness and deny the only Lord God and our, our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, um, this is kind of the final, the final one. And, um, you know, lewdness is not a word that we probably use a lot in our modern day vernacular. Uh, another word that they would use to translate this is lasciviousness, which is also not a word that we use very much in our modern day vernacular. So what I'm going to do is I'm just going to read to you, read it to you out of the Strong's and, uh, and help get a, just an understanding of this Greek word. Um, and it's Strong's number 766. If anybody's doing extended study, that's the, uh, that's the Greek uh, Strong's number for it. But it's the word aselgia. It means lewdness, licentiousness, wantonness. Um, outrageous conduct, conduct shocking to public decency, uh, properly violent spite which rejects restraint and indulges in lawless insolence. Wow, big stuff, right? So we don't want that, right? <laughs> but it says, turns the grace of our Lord into this. And, and really, this is where people take a concept of grace and use it to justify sinful behavior. And use it to, um, uh, you know, they take this this beautiful message of grace and they just turn it into lawlessness. And so, um, uh, and so that is we don't we don't want that. And unfortunately, there you know there are people that do that. And what it does is it really it brings a, a bad name uh, towards the gospel because um, you know we as human beings we're, we're quick to generalize and we're quick to put people in groups. You know, that's just, our, that's just what human nature does. And so, you know, one person, you know, sees someone maybe preaching a message of grace and then they look at the conduct of their life and see that they're, you know, just living immorally and they're, you know, just doing all kinds of crazy stuff. And as a result of that, then it brings reproach against the message. Mes I mean, the message of grace is not meant to empower sin. The message of grace is really the only thing that actually sets us free from sin. And uh, according to Scripture, you know, Romans chapter 6 and verse 14, it says, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law but under grace. I mean, that's Bible right there. Grace is what sets us free um, from the dominion of sin. And so, 
you know, people will, will make generalized statements like greasy grace or grace gives somebody a license to sin or sloppy agape or whatever. All those are nice. Yeah, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> sloppy agape. Um, and, you know, and, and it's funny how trite sayings try to take preeminence over truth. You know, like uh, someone was like, you believe that once saved, always saved stuff? Someone was asking me that online the other day. And, uh, and it's always this trite little saying that rhymes. And if it rhymes, we know it's true, right? <laughs> that's the way people look at things. And, uh, well, that's not Scripture. Scripture says that for, sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. That's what the Bible says. We've got to go with what the Bible says. We can't go with trite sayings or people's accusation. Grace is the only thing that actually sets people free from the dominion of sin. Okay? But... Um, people, and so if you look at that passage in you, it says, turn the grace of our Lord into lewdness, and, there's two elements here, and deny the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so there is a turning of grace into a license, if you'll allow that term to sin, and then there's also the denial of our Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, to me, what, what this actually is, is they take grace as a concept rather than a relationship. Grace is a concept rather than a relationship. So someone will present, you know, well, you know, there's no such thing as sin anymore, um, and, you know, there's no such thing as sin, so we can do whatever we want to do, and, um, you know, it's just all good. And, and that's a concept of sin rather, excuse me, that's a concept of grace rather than a relationship. I mean, you know, the reason that God has made you the righteousness of God, the reason, you know, if you're a believer, the reason that God has given you an abundance of grace is so that you can have a relationship with him. And if we take a concept of grace and we divorce it from relationship, then then that to me a lot of, that's where error happens a lot. Because the reality is, how I many you know it's harder to sin against love, against an unconditional love when I know how much God loves me and I know the price that's paid for the cross. I mean, if you know, and I heard somebody saying this the other day, but if we if we want to forget, if we if we forget and think that grace is cheap, just watch the passion of the Christ. There's nothing cheap about the payment of our sin, absolutely nothing. I mean, it literally was the most expensive debt on earth, in all of creation, and uh, so much so that only God Himself could pay it. And so, um, there's nothing cheap about grace, and it, but it is a relationship. It is. You know, we've not been made the righteousness of God so that we cannot have relationship with God. We've been made the righteousness of God so that we can have relationship with God. Now, please understand this, and don't allow the enemy to bring condemnation in here, okay? As you get established in grace, and especially if you've come out of legalism, you're going to have some highs and you're going to have some lows. You know, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna make some mistakes, um, you know, the, the, you know, we look at the prodigal son experiencing the love of the father. How many know he made mistakes? But the father never rejected him. But in the presence of a perfect love, you can, you can make mistakes and still be accepted and still be loved and still be not defined by your failure. And ultimately, in the presence of a perfect love, your heart will be wooed to Jesus. And so, you know, people may be here this morning or watching online, they're struggling with things. And dealing with things, I guarantee all of us are. You know, everyone has an area of your life or two or ten or twenty that you're challenged with. And the beauty of it is, is that God's grace is bigger than our sin. God's not going to take His grace away from you. In fact, every time you make a mistake, every time you sin, the Bible says that grace does much more abound towards you. 
And so God is always going to be looking to rescue you out of the dominion of sin, but He's also never going to want to empower you to sin. And, and a true message of grace does not empower people to sin. It sets people free from the dominion of sin. And so, um, and so we, we're, this is a, a place where we kind of have to split hairs a little bit and have to, to, to really make some things clear and make some things plain so that we can really understand uh, where we're coming from. But I, I know that there are people who've taken this message of grace and just said there's no such thing as sin, do whatever you want. And that's not the Bible, man. That's not, you know, right's still right, wrong's still wrong. The gospel don't change that. You know, um, there, there's no place that scripturally empowers sin. You know, even, you know, when, when the woman was caught, can I get that fan? I'm feeling hot today, I don't know why, but um, when, when that woman was caught in, in the act of adultery, you know, how I many you know Jesus came and he forgave her? Before she repented. <laughs> Seriously. Before she repented, before she made a lifestyle change, he said, neither do I condemn you. That's, that's the dynamic of the gospel. The gospel comes and says, you have a sure forgiveness. Pause. Don't say nothing else. Just a sure forgiveness. Now, that scares legalists. Because they're like, oh, 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 no, 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 no. They've got to do this, they've got to do that, they've got to do that. No, no, no. Just believe. And if you believe, and you'll receive that forgiveness and receive that love, it will change your life. How I many you know the thief didn't have one opportunity to produce any action of repentance? Only thing he did was believe. See, God knows His love is powerful enough and strong enough that it, you'll, if you'll believe in it, that it will transform your heart. And so Jesus came to her and said, neither do I condemn you. He gave her the gift of no condemnation in the midst of her sin, in the midst of her failure. But he didn't stop there. He also said something else. He said, now go your way and sin no more. But forgiveness came first. But a true message of grace is going to present a forgiveness first, but there's also going to be an empowerment to not be dominated by that same sin. See, if you fall in the mud you know, and you make a mistake, the hand of the, hand of the Lord Jesus comes to you and he, he, he's there to pull you out of the mud. But how many know if you let him, he'll lead you around the mud so you don't end up in it again? Can I get an amen? But here's the thing. No matter how many times you fall in the mud, he's still going to pick you up. Amen. And, and that's where legalism and the true message of the gospel begins to kind of, kind of change paths. Because legalists you know, will say, well, you know, I don't know. I don't know about 10 times or 11 times or 12 times or 13 times or whatever. Or if you struggle with something different than what they struggle with. You know, there's a lot of self-righteousness and hypocrisy in man-made religion in that they want to point out a certain sin, but they don't want to talk about gluttony, or they don't want to talk about um, uh, gossip, or whatever. You know what I'm saying? The bottom line is, everybody's making, you know, we're human beings, and, and we need Jesus, amen, and we need the grace of God, but we, what, we, what we don't want to do um, is we don't want to honor a message that says, you know what, just do what you want to do. I'll never forget when someone approached me with that for the first time online. They're like, there's no such thing as sin. They said that to me, and I thought, huh. So I can come to your house, smack you in the face, burn your house down and steal your car, and it's all good. <laughs> we'll never do that. But I just want to show them, yes, there is. There's still such thing as sin. They're sitting out, now, you've been delivered out of the place of sin through Jesus Christ. And sin is a noun. Most time in Scripture, sin is referred to as a noun, not a verb. It's referred to as a noun, uh, a verb only twice in New Testament Scripture. And so, 
you used to be in a place called sin, in a place called spiritual death, and you've been delivered from that, and now you're in a place called righteousness. You are now in Jesus Christ. And what that means is, is God's not going to impute sin to you any longer because all your sin was imputed on Jesus. Can I get an amen? So now you are a slave to righteousness, whereas you used to be a slave to sin. And so sin's no longer going to be imputed to you. Now, you can still have sinful actions, and how many know there will be repercussions for those actions, whether you're saved or not saved? How many know there are constant, you know, you never want to preach a message of grace that there's no consequence uh, for, your, for your actions. That's, that's ridiculous. There are, there's going to be consequences. And, and the, the analogy I always use, if I peel out of here, you know, and I, and I head down the road, praise God, I'm laughing because I was speeding a little bit this weekend because I had so much going on. I just thank God I didn't get pulled over. <laughs> I always just air my laundry out, but it's all good. Um, amen. But, but uh, uh, amen. I had a lot going on on Friday. And thank God somebody flashed their lights at me. Otherwise, I'd have been pulled over. <laughs> Amen. Just being honest. Just being honest. I'm not perfect. But if I pull out of here, and I'm going 85 miles an hour down Main Street in Georgetown, how many you know Jesus loves me? How many know I'm forgiven? How many you know I'm about to get a ticket? Right? And uh, because there are consequences for your actions. But, but God is not going to revoke His Son's work in order to call me to pay the penalty for my own sin. And you're not gonna, it's not going to be the same for you. It is, God's not... How many know Jesus did a good job? Okay, He did a great job. So your sin's been taken care of. You're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Sin's not going to be imputed to you in the form of punishment any longer. Now, there are repercussions for our actions and our behavior. Amen. Now, and how many know... And God will even deliver you from that stuff. He will. I mean, he will. He's just awesome like that. But what we don't want to, you know, that person who said there's no such thing as sin, and we're going to take a look at that, you know, there's kind of a movement in the earth right now to take, to take right and say that it's wrong, and take wrong and say that it's right. And uh, grace does not empower that whatsoever. But there is an element of New Age humanism that's trying to infiltrate the gospel to basically remove any sense of, of morality or concept of morality and say that truth is relative. <clears throat> and that's not true, and Scripture doesn't back that up. But in Isaiah chapter 5, uh, if you guys want to turn there, you can, but I just quoted this, but I'm going to read it to you. Isaiah 5 and verse 20, it says, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. This is what we're seeing in the world right now. You know, we, we see right being attacked and, and, and called evil. We see evil, uh, you know, being embraced as good. And so um, there, is, there is right and there is wrong, okay? And that has not changed. But what Jesus did come and do, it says no matter how much wrong you've done, God will still rescue you and God will still deliver you. Can I get an amen? And, but, but see, there's a difference. There's a difference. It's one thing to struggle with something and want help. It's another thing to embrace something that's wrong and declare that it's right. And that's really what I'm, that's, that's what I'm really kind of addressing here. And I, I'm going to read that again. It's one thing to struggle with something and want help. Amen? And it, it's another thing to embrace something that's clearly wrong and declare that it's right. That, that's the difference. And, um, you know, grace will find the worst person on earth and will give them hope, and will deliver them, and will set them free from the dominion of sin. And here's the thing, you're not on anybody's timetable. 
Don't you dare compare yourself to somebody else. You think, well, man, I should be free from this by now. No, you're running your race, okay? You're not running somebody else's race. And how many of you know different trees produce fruit at different times? And so, so and don't, don't allow anyone to, to, to make you feel bad about where you're at. You're walking with the Lord, man. And you may have some areas that you're struggling with, but if you'll just continue to allow the love of God to come into your life, and you'll continue to allow the grace of God to come in and establish you, establish your heart in the reality of your forgiveness and the power of the cross, and you'll allow your heart to get established in righteousness, that you have a new identity in Christ, you'll be set free from whatever's trying to dominate you. I promise you. If you'll just continue to, to, to hear the good news. It's the power of God unto salvation. And that salvation is more than just having... It, 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 certainly it's having your names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But it's also... Freedom from the dominion of sin. I mean, it's awful to do things you don't want to do. You know, I've spent most of my life just dominated by stuff. Now, I'm not anymore. I'm free, praise God. And I'm so thankful. But, but, it's still, but all the stuff still knocks. It still knocks. It seems to me like when I get victory in, in, in certain areas of my life, that there'll be something else that will rise up. It's weird, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have, I have victory... In, in, in certain areas of like temperance and self-control, you know, which I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing a lot of victory in that right now. Thank you, Jesus. But then I'll be, then anger will try to knock on the door. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's weird. It's like, okay, I'm doing real good on all this stuff, and all of a sudden now, I haven't struggled with, I've never struggled with anger in my life. Like, I've never been an angry person. But here lately, that's been the thing that's been trying to knock on my door is being mad. Praise God. I watched the debate the other night. I got so mad. I got in the flesh. It was bad. I, I went to bed mad. I woke up mad. That's not a good sign. I'm not going to talk about politics. I'm just going to say it brought me into the flesh. And so, so whatever area that you get free from, the enemy is always going to try to send something else. So, but here's the thing. There's a difference between a bird flying over your head and it building a nest in your hair. Such a strange analogy, but anyway, um, what, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? How I many you know, as long as you're on this earth, sin's going to knock. Temptation's going to knock. It ain't never going to stop. You're not going to get to the place to where the enemy no longer tries to bring temptation. You're not going to get to that place. Not in this life. But, how I many know that you don't have to give place to the devil? And you don't have to allow it to dominate you. And a big, big portion of the way that you really steward your actions is you steward your thoughts. That's where it's at. If you can steward your thoughts, you're going to steward your behavior. And, and I found that when I get set free, when I, get, when I bring, have freedom in a certain area of my life, um, I've got to really guard my thoughts so the enemy won't try to bring me back into that stronghold again. And if you'll get sensitive about just guarding your thoughts then you'll, you'll end up guarding your behavior as a result. Now, the primary thing is your identity. Amen. You know when you're the righteousness of God, knowing that you're a child of God, whatever failure you have in your life, don't identify with that failure. You know? You know, but between, but, you know, because, you know, for example, like, uh, you know, all the stuff I went through with my dog, you know? You know what my dog did the other day? I thought we had some breakthrough with our dog. We went upstairs, right? We left him alone for Three minutes. Three minutes. We come downstairs, and he has gotten up on the dining room table. Because he don't care. And No, 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 no. He got on the dining room table. 
and he knocked the butter dish off. He's eating a pound of butter this week. Because he realizes that when we leave the room, there's butter up there and he's going to eat it. But today, like we come down and be like, honey, did you eat all the butter? I was like, nah. What's going on with the butter? And the dog's just like, what's up? But this time, he, he's not as smooth, right? And he knocks the butter dish down. He breaks it and then cuts himself. It's awful. Three minutes. Three minutes. And so, like, I'm mad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? And, like, yes. And so, and I had just hooked him up. Like, I just blessed him. Like, I just, like, because I, I, I feed him. I, I have a kind of a problem in that I guilt feed the dog. Anybody deal with that? Like, you, you feel bad about him being in the cage all day, and you're like, man, I need to hook you up, bro. I'm sorry. You've been in there. We were so busy on Friday. We had so many things going on. Dog's in the cage for a long time. Like, I need to give him some sausage, man. I need to give him some gravy. I need to hook him up. So I'm guilt feeding the dog, right? Not good. And it's probably my guilt feeding of the dog that produced the butter dish on the ground. Because I took some gravy. Praise God. And I put it, I know, that's how it's... Yeah, I took some gravy. Hold on, I need, I need 10 minutes to recover from that statement. <laughs> I love gravy, man. And uh, especially breakfast gravy. So on again, praise God. Uh, but I took some gravy and I put it in this dog food and I mixed it around. I didn't tell you this. And, uh, and so, so I was like, I'm going to hook him up. He's been in his cage all day. Well, he ate that gravy and lost his mind. That's what happened. He completely lost his mind. He jumped on the table, so I'm eating the butter, you know, and knocked it over and broke the glass and all that. And I'm, I was really mad, you know. And honestly, I'm not, I'm just not an angry person. I'm really not. But, like, and so you know what the enemy's trying to do? He's trying to get me to identify with anger. And so my primary form of deliverance is this. I'm a child of God. I'm the righteousness of God. Anger is not my default setting. Peace is. Righteousness, peace, and joy. Amen. And so that's my current battle, right? Um, so primarily it's through identity, but, but secondarily guarding your thoughts. Because you know what I was trying to do? I was trying to fume about the dog. That dog. That gone dog. I have to redirect my thoughts. Now here I am. I'm mad. And the thing about anger is, how I many know any, any form of sin can't be compartmentalized and contained? It starts to bleed over into other areas of your life. And so, I have got to correct my thoughts so that I correct my behavior. Because if I let anger stew, I'm eventually going to show anger towards my kids. That they don't really need, and it's not really their fault. But because I'm mad at the dog, I end up being mad at the kids. And then if I show anger at my wife, then it's on. And that's a battle I can't win. You know what I'm saying? Amen. And so... Better just chill and get your thoughts together. How many of the Bible says gird up the loins of your mind? You know, and after all this political stuff and all that, gird up the loins of your mind. I've, I've just swore off the news the past couple of days. I got so mad, I'm reading no more news, forget it. You know what? My life's been better as a result. I have not been reading the news, and I just said forget them because I don't trust none of them. All right, don't get me started. Praise the Lord. Right. Girding up the loins of my mind. Centered. Peace. <laughs> Enjoy. Okay. Amen. Okay. All right. Yes. Amen. Well said. Well said. Spiritual gravy, right? Swallowed again. Praise the Lord. Amen. And I even ate food this morning. I shouldn't even be hungry. Um, anyway. But if you, 
So number one, your identity. But number two, um, your thoughts, man. Guard your heart with all diligence, for out of it are the, are the issues of life. Um, and so when your thoughts start going astray, pull them back. Pull them back. That's the steering wheel of your actions, is your thought life. Amen? And so, and so, so what I don't want to do is embrace anger as an identity. Well, I'm just an angry person. That's not what the Bible says. I mean, you know, if I embrace it and say that it's okay, I'm embracing a false reality. Or, you know, or I'm just a fearful person. No, you're not. That's not your identity. Or I'm just a worrier. No, you're not. That's not your identity. Amen. Or I'm just this, or I'm just that, or I'm just this. No, no, no. You are as He is. As Jesus is, so are you in this world. Can I get an amen? Jesus has become your identity. He's the head, and, you're, and we're the body. Um, but, and so what we don't want to do is embrace something and, that's wrong and declare that it's right. We want grace to set us free from it. Amen? Now, um, turn, turn to 2 Peter, please, chapter 3. And I just want to talk for a moment about how easily grace can be misunderstood. Okay? And uh, it can be very, very misunderstood. And, you know, it, it really makes me feel better that the Apostle Paul was so misunderstood. Because, you know, he was in Jesus' Bible college for, I forget how many years. But he encountered the resurrected Christ. Jesus set him down and taught him for years. And people, and then he would preach and people would still misunderstand what he was saying. And, and the reason being is that grace is not the easiest thing for man's mind to get a hold of. It's completely contrary to everything else on earth. It's contrary uh, to this life, this fallen world. It's con- every- There's no other religion on earth that operates in grace. Only Jesus Christ. Um, everything else operates on, on meritocracy or merit or earning it. And so Paul was misunderstood. And Peter even said that Paul was misunderstood. We're going to look at it. 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 15. And, and you know, Peter speaking here by the Spirit of God. And it says, And consider that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, as also our beloved brother Paul, according to the wisdom given to him, has written to you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to understand. Praise God. How many of grace can be a difficult thing for people to get a hold of? And how I many know even after you've heard it, even after you've preached it, I love what, uh, I love what Martin Luther said in, you know, in the 1500s. He said, if I didn't preach this every day, I'd forget it. Why? Because it's so contrary to everything else. It's such good news that you've got to be reminded regularly. And that's kind of one of the reasons I made the statement I made the other day on social media. I said, if you're bored with the gospel, you don't understand it yet. It's not the acquisition of knowledge. It's the feeding of, on the bread of life. It's feeding on Jesus. You need a fresh I love you from God on the regular. You need a reminder that you're the righteousness of God. You need a reminder that God is with you and for you. And all His promises are yes and amen towards you. You don't have to earn them. You don't have to deserve them. They're all yours. It's only in that atmosphere where faith can really flourish. The moment that we make a decision to disqualify ourselves... From God's love or God's promises, we've left grace and entered into legalism. You're not disqualified from anything that heaven has to offer because it's Jesus' blood that qualified you for everything. Can I get an amen? If you look at you, you will feel disqualified. But if you'll just keep your eyes on Jesus, you'll recognize that you are qualified to receive. 
Because he paid the price so you can have it for free. Can I get an amen? Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> Thank you. All right. <laughs> um, and so he says, of which things are hard to understand, which untaught and unstable people twist to their own destruction. So people had an opportunity to twist grace to their own destruction. But then he takes it a step further. He says, as they do also the rest of the scriptures. So it's not just for the gospel that can be twisted and misunderstood. How many of y'all have ever had a scripture preached to you that was twisted and messed you up? I have been more messed up by scripture, I'd say, than anything else on earth. But why? Because, because scripture, because the Bible's evil, Jeremiah. No, it's because truth is so powerful that the enemy wants to twist it to bring destruction. When the enemy came to Adam and Eve, he didn't tempt them with some way-off, left-field temptation. He took all the words that were spoken to them and added a little bit of embellishment. And that's what caused it. You know what the, the embellishment was? It says, if you touch the fruit, you'll die. God never told Adam that. But that's what Eve said. So there's some form of miscommunication there. So as soon as they touched it, they said, hey, I'm not dead. Now I can eat it. See that small little twist? Enemy's subtle, man. And so, you know, don't throw out Scripture because you've been abused by it. Don't throw away knives uh, because you've been stabbed. Don't throw away a fork because, you know, it hasn't helped you along in your, your fitness journey. Don't throw away a gun because, you know, it can be used for violence. No, no, no. These, thing, don't, these things are not evil unto themselves. It's how they're used. And there's tremendous power in Scripture if it's used properly. And uh, it's rightly divided. Amen? And so he's saying here, hey amen, people can misunderstand what Paul said. And then he goes on to say in the rest of the Scripture, he says, You therefore, beloved, since you know this beforehand, beware, lest you also fall from your own steadfastness, being led away with the error of the wicked. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, Peter doesn't throw grace under the bus. Peter doesn't throw Paul under the bus. Peter doesn't throw Scripture under the bus. He's saying these things can be misunderstood and twisted and bring destruction. Y'all tracking me here? The word wicked doesn't literally mean evil at its root sense. It just means twisted. And there's some people that have got some things twisted and they're doing some things that are producing evil, but really the people themselves are not evil. Y'all tracking me here? I used to preach legalism. I preached it for a long time because I thought it was the truth. But when I was presented with the truth, I had a decision to make. Please men or please God. And there are, those, there are other of my brothers and sisters that chose to please men. And so be it. But when, when this truth was presented to me, I, 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 I decided... I'm going to please God, you know, and, um, and not to mention, not, not just for the sake of pleasing God, but ha having understood God's love and grace, my life's a lot better. Like, I'm enjoying my life a whole lot more than I ever did under legalism, and that would be the understatement of the century. Heaven and hell would be the comparison. I could never go back to legalism, ever, ever. Anyway, so, moving right along. Now, uh, Romans chapter 3, and let's take a look at the accusation that was made against Paul for people that didn't understand what he was saying. And, and I'll stop here and I'll say this. Have you ever walked in on a conversation happening between people and you thought something was being said that wasn't? Yeah. Has it ever happened to you on social media before? <laughs> Communi Honestly, I think if the world had perfect communication, 
I don't think the fall of man would have ever taken place, and I don't think the enemy would have a foothold. But I think the vast majority of our problems is, is the enemy gets in there and messes up communication. I think that happens between spouses, that happens between kids and, and their fathers and mothers and their friends and their family. Uh, there's miscommunication that happens. And, um, and so it, when you walk in on the conversation and you don't quite hear the full thing, that's why someone can take a snippet of something someone's preaching and make it sound like they're saying anything in the world. I mean, you know, the media does that all the time. You don't get the full story. You get a part of the story that's going to serve their narrative. <clears throat> and so they'll show you a part of it and then incite all this, this, this anger and upsetness. And, and the reality is that if we could just get the full story all the time, I think humanity as a whole would wake up and recognize we're not at war with each other, we're at war with the devil. And uh, he does his best work in, in the arena of miscommunication. But the, the, they made this accusation against Paul in Romans chapter 3 and verse 8. He says, and when I say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say. Now, Paul preached grace so strong and so hard and so uncompromisingly, some people misunderstood what he said and said, Paul's saying, let's do evil that good may come. Okay? That's what they said about Paul. Why did they say that? Because Paul said, by the Spirit of God, where sin abounds... Grace does much more abound. Anytime you fail, anytime you fall, the grace of God is stronger than the sin. is stronger than your failure. And if you'll continue to receive grace, grace will stop sin's dominion in your life. But what happens is, you know, in the church a lot, in the church worldwide, is legalism, it, 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 it gives grace out in measured, controlled um, doses. You first get saved, you can have plenty of grace. Oh, now you're saved? Well, you don't get plenty of grace. You get a little grace. Because I can't, I can't trust this level of forgiveness in your life. I can't trust... I can't, man, Jeremiah, if we just tell people they're completely forgiven of all sin, then they're just going to run around and act crazy and act like lunatics. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need to be the middleman between God and man, and I'm going to have to measure how much grace people receive because they can't be trusted. And so I, I, as the taskmaster, will set myself up in a position of control because I don't trust the Spirit of God to actually lead people's lives. I had a conversation with someone who used to preach the gospel, who walked away from the gospel and basically said that same thing to me. The people can't, can't be trusted with this revelation. I wasn't in a position to correct him because he was my elder. And, uh, and, you know, and so I didn't, but I just thought. I thought, how sad is that? That you trust yourself more than you trust God. So, you know, this is God's idea. It's not man's idea. It's not even Paul's idea. It's God's idea. God said, hey, I got a plan. I'm going to forgive people completely. And I believe that my goodness will lead them to a lifestyle of change. The goodness of God leads you to repentance. But the thing about it is, in order for it to be effective, it has to be uninterrupted. And what legalism does is it, some grace... Oh, that's too much grace. Here's some legalism. Let me scare you back into obedience. Some grace. Oh, I need to throw some legalism on you, you know, to make you give or make you come to church or make you pray or make you evangelize. Here's some grace. Here, have some Jesus. Okay, put Jesus in the closet. He's too dangerous. Here, have some me. And, and it's, it's a perversion. Um, it's evil. 
It's Babylon. It's a mixture of the covenants. And it sets man up as God rather than God being God. And it's everywhere on earth. It's everywhere. But, but the message of the gospel, if you'll, if you'll preach an uninterrupted stream of grace and love, now you're going to pepper it with wisdom. You know, what are you talking about, Jeremiah? I mean, old, everything that we teach is from a grace perspective, whether it be prayer or marriage or finances or protection or relationships. It's from a grace perspective, but there's going to be wisdom that's added to it, but it's going to be from a grace perspective. Like, you know, like I'm, I'm flowing through uh, Ephesians in our midweek, and so now we've established the gospel in that, in that book. And so now we're actually going to behavior modification. And we're actually addressing people's behavior. Now, if you just preached behavior, it would be legalism. But you've already established a foundation of identity and love. And now God's saying, this is what love looks like. Don't steal. You know, uh, uh, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives, respect their husbands. Children, obey your parents. All these things are said after identity and love has already been established. You tracking me here? And so, um, but if you preach an uninterrupted flow of grace, pure, with no legalism, it will set the captives free. Just like if you put enough water on something that's dirty, it will wash it. Yeah, I can remember when I was in high school, I used to work at a restaurant and, uh, I used to, I would, you know, I, I did all kinds of things in this restaurant. I waited tables. I was, a, you know, I was a server. I was a uh, host. I was a, you know, dishwasher, busboy, all that stuff. And I can remember that they had this high pressure uh, wash thing. You know, what am I trying to say here? Thank you. Jeez. Wash thing. <laughs> this thing is wearing me out. Help. Oh, that was loud. Okay, there. All right, good. <laughs> Amen. Um, but you know what? If you put enough water pressure on anything, it will eventually become clean. If you just hit it. I mean, you don't even have to have a ton of soap or nothing. You hit it with enough pressure. And I thought, man, this thing's, this thing's I used to love it because it would just, it'd just take care of everything. If you'll put enough, see, the Bible says that we reign in life through an abundance of grace in the gift of righteousness. You need too much grace in order to get set free from the dominion of sin. You need more than enough because it's the only thing that's actually going to work for you. And so we can't help. Will you come help me, please? This thing is just like, it, yeah, it's really, amen. Okay. Help me out. Okay. No, it's cool. I got a big head, man. No, I'm fine. Thank you. Thank you very much. I have a big head and small ears, and so it's like a, it's a, okay, never mind, just a big head. <laughs> big heads unite right now. Amen. Amen. I, I, there was a study in USA Today, and it, and it said uh, people with large heads are, are smarter, and I cut it out and put it on the refrigerator. <laughs> amen. Yeah, amen. Amen. There's, okay, so anyway, so, and so he said, let us do, this is the accusation that came against the message, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported as some affirm that we say. Now, and then he, Paul, Paul actually agrees with his accusers. He says, their condemnation is just. He's saying, I'm not saying that. Amen. He's not saying that. 
We're not saying let's go out and sin so that good may come. Let's go out and sin so that blessing may come. But he's also not pulling back from the reality that when you do sin, grace does much more abound towards you. Can I get an amen? amen. It's just, I mean, because you can't get out of the pit unless God reaches his hand in there and pulls you out. Amen. And so you cannot out the grace of God. The grace of God is going to be there to rescue you. But when what we're actually addressing is there are people who are ta- taking a concept of grace and removing it from relationship with the Lord and are saying, you know what, you can do whatever you want and it doesn't matter. And, you know, and, and there's no such thing as sin. Do whatever you want. Sleep with whoever you want. Drink whatever you want. Do whatever kind of drugs you want. You know, everything is okay because we're under grace. That's not biblical. That's not scriptural. That's not the message of grace. That's turning the grace of the Lord into lasciviousness, and we don't want that. A true grace teaching would never encourage anyone to continue in sin. Now, turn to Romans chapter 5, and what we're going to close right here in this, in this chapter, because it's all addressed beautifully in scripture. Um, amen. Romans chapter 5 and verse 19. It says, For if by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many will be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered that the offense may abound. But where sin abounded, grace abounded much more. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? And so he never says that when we do sin that grace is going to stop abounding. You understand that? Like when you, when you, when you fail, grace abounds towards you. Because the grace of God is going to teach you how to deny ungodliness. How's it going to do it? Through God's goodness and God's love. I just, and, and what we have to learn how to do if we really want to grow in this is, and we're going to probably step into this next week, but you've just got to keep Jesus as your righteousness in everything. Like, when you fail, how many know your righteousness hasn't been taken from you? How many know Jesus hasn't been taken from you? He's still, he's still right there. And one of the things I think that we need to get good at, and which I really want to teach on, is learning how to keep Jesus as your righteousness when you do everything right. That is just as important. And that's, I don't hardly hear anybody teach on that. But this is what happens to people a lot of times. We, we often, as people who teach grace, we teach people how to confess our righteousness and focus on Jesus as our righteousness when we fail. But we don't teach them to do it when they're doing everything right. Here's the challenge. If you start doing a bunch of stuff right as a result of God's grace, then you get into pride. And then when you get into pride, it's going to stop the flow of grace in your life, and you're actually going to go over here and sin. <laughs> and this is what I see happening to people. Where, you know, even people, not legalists, they don't understand any of this. And they're just, you know, they're not in, they're not, this isn't even a conversation with them. But with people that start to understand grace, and we're going to talk about this next Sunday, and I'm super excited about it. Um, is, you know, you, you, know you, you make a mistake. You think, man, thank God for His grace. Grace abounds towards me. Jesus is my righteousness. Mistake, Jesus is my righteousness. Jesus is my righteousness. All right, now I'm not making mistakes anymore. 
Whoo! We're on this thing. It's kind of like surfing or flying. You got you caught the wave. You're on, right? You're feeling good about it. You've you've not fallen into this ditch. But then we get in over here and we're doing everything good, not because of ourselves, but because of the grace of God. And then we slide over into, man, I'm awesome. <laughs> or not even, man, I'm awesome. Just start to trust in self-effort. And then, then and in this place, you can start to look down on other people. And you can start to think, well, I'm not, not like them, and I'm not doing this. And then out of this place, you can start to get like judgmental. And you can start... Now, here's the thing. How many know that once you enter into pride, um, what's going to happen is, is we're going to start to frustrate grace. Amen? We're going to start to frustrate grace once we enter into pride. And so then, next thing you know, I'm in pride. Grace starts to get frustrated. And then I slide all the way back over here. And so what happens is people do this. But there's this place of balance, man, that I'm excited about. Because it says that, that, that grace will reign... Through righteousness. And, and th- that we're called to reign in life. And so if we can keep Jesus center stage, regardless of our mistakes or our triumphs, and we can just make it about Jesus, then we can stay on the wave of grace. This is what we're going to preach next Sunday. And that's just, uh, that's just in my heart, so it's coming out. But he says, Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Now here's a really important understanding. You're not trying to die to sin. You've already died to sin if you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior. You're dead to sin. Okay? It has no place in your spirit. Now, you can still operate in the carnal mind. You can still... You can still um, how many know that the, 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 the sanctification of your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions is a process? That's what we're doing right now. We're sitting down, allowing the Word to wash our thoughts. And to change the way we think. Amen? Um, and that's, that is the process. But you're dead to sin. Period. Amen? As far as your spirit is concerned. Now you can still make mistakes here. You can still make mistakes here. But here, you've died. How many know you've been co-crucified with Christ? You've been resurrected. Amen? So you're actually dead to sin right now. Amen? Let's drop down to verse 11. It says, Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin. And that word reckon is an accounting term. Recognize it. Look at it on the sheet. You're dead to sin. Amen? But alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And people get into a lot of error where they're constantly trying to die to sin. No, you're not called to constantly try to die to sin. You're called to keep your eyes on Jesus. As you keep your eyes on Jesus in, in, in terms of, of, of the identity and in terms of who you are in Christ, you're going to be set free from the dominion of sin. Can I get an Amen. Whatever you look at, you're going to draw towards. And so when people teach, you know, got to die to self, got to die to sin, got to die to self. No, no, no. That's preoccupation with you. That's going to end, you're going to be frustrated. You're going to be doing donuts in the realm of the Spirit. You're going to just be going around and around and around. Whatever you look at, you're going to draw towards. How I many of you didn't get here today by staring at the ditch and trying to stay out of the ditch as you drove? You got here by looking forward. And what the gospel says is Jesus is the center of your vision, not sin, and not yourself. I'm real cautious about anything that starts to bring me back into me and get me caught up in me and myself. I mean, you know, Peter walked on water as long as he kept focused on Jesus. That's what you're called to do. That's what the gospel does. It makes a presentation of Jesus and keeps Jesus big in your thoughts and in your mind. As you behold Him, you are changed from glory to glory. 
And, 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 and you know, and there are even some people who, who, you know, claim to be grace teachers that really kind of get, get, get people really focused on themselves. And, um, and you know, and, and here's the thing. I'm not, you know, you do what, what, what works for you. But I know there's some teaching that I listen to, and it gets me wrapped up in legalism again. And there I am in my own strength, and I can't do that. My own strength isn't enough. Anyway, so you're not trying to constantly die to sin. Okay? You have died with Christ and been resurrected. And the life which you now live is actually not yours anyway. It's His. Amen? It says, Likewise, you also reckon or account yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, because of this reality, do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it in its lusts. So it says, don't let sin reign. In other words, how I many you know it, it can reign? Amen. It can. But it doesn't have to. Right? How I many you know that um, when Lazarus came out of the grave, even though he was wrapped in grave cloth, he was a living man. Right? There are believers who've been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, but sin has been dominating their lives for a long time. And God says, just like Jesus spoke to, to, about Lazarus, loose him and let him go. And that's what the message of grace is always to you. Loose him and let him go. But, 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 loose him and let him go. But wait a minute, what if they abuse freedom? Loose them and let them go. And, and God's gospel works. I know it confounds the human mind. I know it confounds the legalistic mind. I know it doesn't seem to make sense, but God said, this is God's idea. And he said, I'm going to do a work in your day that's so awesome that you're, you're going to struggle to believe it. And here we are today, 2,000 years later, still struggling to believe the good news of the cross was a success. But it says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey it its lust. So sin is still going to try to lord over you. Okay, Just like me with the dog. Angered, trying to lord over me. Seriously. Between the dog and, and, and all the crazy media stuff and all that, like anger was just trying to, trying to roll in me. And I'm not an angry person. That's not my identity. I have, to, I have to take that and put it off. I mean, in Ephesians it says, put off the old man and put on the new man. Don't let anybody put a false identity on you. Nobody. Don't let anybody do it. And, and I mean, you know, People that know you the best, unfortunately, are the people that many times will try to put a false identity on you. And it's not because they don't love you, it's because they're comfortable with the you that they know. And we have to not know each other according to the flesh. We have to give each other room to transform into the butterfly that we're called to be. And so what does that mean? That means I don't know you after the flesh. I know you after Christ. Everything I say to you should call forth the greatness on the inside of you. The words that I speak to you should minister life. Words of grace. Words that edify. How I many of oh, there are words that corrupt? And it's when we try to cause people to identify with their failure. Amen. Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when, when behavior needs to be addressed, when correction needs to happen, but how I many of oh, that it should never, as a believer, your identity should never be corrected. Because your identity is in Christ. Can I get an amen? No, you can't identify the, 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 the righteousness. You can't correct the righteousness that's in a believer. No, they're the righteousness of God. And they are just as righteous as the other Christian that's accusing them and condemning them. Amen. And so, so anyway, 
But we don't want to allow sin to reign over us. And if it does, I mean, it can jack you up. And it can mess your life up. And it, 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 can, it can bring hurt. And it can bring pain. And it can bring delay. And it can do all kinds of things. And, and here's the bottom line. You know, if I saw something that was, you know, harming my kids, you know, as a loving father, you're, you're going you're gonna to see what love looks like in the form of righteous indignation. You know, like, don't, don't mess with what I love, amen? And so, the same is true about God towards you. That thing that's trying to rule your life, that fear, that worry, you know, so many times we, we focus on sin just from a morality standpoint. But Scripture says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. What does that mean? That means worry is just as sinful as any other type of sin. Right? And, and fear as well. Now, I don't say that to put the microscope on you and make you feel like a sinner. I say that to recognize you're not called to live in worry. You're not called to live in worry. For example, enemies trying to hit me with worry this morning. Stacy and I, we just didn't have time to ride together today because we had, you know, we had some other things going on, and so I drove by myself. And um, and but I want, I helped her as much as I could, and then I left. And but but as I'm driving, I'm, I'm the enemy's trying to hit me with guilt for going by myself. And so enemies hit me with guilt, trying to hit me with guilt, trying to hit me with guilt. And so I'm just, hey, do you want me to do this? I call Stacy. You want me to do this? You want me to do this? And and all these things. And because it, had I rode with her, I would have got here right at time. And I don't like to do that. I like to get here early. But, and so then, he was trying to hit me with guilt, and I kept rejecting it. And so then, he's trying to hit me with fear where something bad's going to happen to him. They're going to get in a wreck. That's why. That's why. Now, how I many you know I can't tolerate that? I've got to address that. I've got to take authority over that. I've got to take authority over it verbally, and then I've got to take authority over it in my thought life. Do you know what I said? I spoke. I used the sword of the Spirit. No evil shall befall me or my family. Neither shall any plague come near our dwelling. He's given his angels charge over us, and they keep us in all of our ways. We abide and dwell in safety. There's a battle. What's happening? Now, we wouldn't think that that was a sin battle because we're so trained to think sin is based in morality only. But the reality is, my worry and my fear, I mean, all that sin, whatsoever is not of faith is sin. Now, I mean, you know, regardless of what goes on in my mind, I'm still the righteousness of God. Can I get an amen? But you know what worry does? It empowers the plan of the enemy. I mean, you, know, you don't want to give place to the enemy. What's worry? Worry is an expectation of evil. And at the end of the day, you know what worry says? Worry says, I don't trust God. I mean, that's just, there it is, point blank. And so, you know, the enemy trying to make you worry about, you know, trying to make you worry about your kids. Anytime any of you try to make me worry about my kids, you know what I say? I say this, great is the peace of my children, for they are taught by the Lord. Who teaches them? The Lord does. Not Jeremiah Johnson, the Lord does. I mean, he's a better teacher than I am. So that's my promise. That's where I hang my hat. So when the enemy comes at me with worry about my kids, great is the peace of my children, for they are taught by the Lord. Enemy comes at me with worry about safety of my family. I just shared the scripture that I just shared you. So I speak, and then I guard my thoughts. So, because what the enemy will try to do, he'll try to bring you over into a place of silence. 
Even when you're praying in the Spirit. So you can pray in the Spirit and worry at the same time. I don't know if y'all knew that, but you can't. Because you can't, now, you can't speak in English and worry at the same time. Why? Because you don't, you don't have the capacity to be saying something and thinking something else. Try it sometime. You can't. It's the way you're designed. So, and that's why there is a battle sometimes, um, and it's time to break out the sword of the Spirit. And this is where confession really counts and matters. I mean, that's what Jesus did when the enemy came. It is written. This is some of the good stuff we learned from the former movements. Speak. Don't sit in silence and worry. Amen? It's not good for you, and it's also not good for the situation. Because how many know that the Bible says, gird up the loins of your mind? How many know you can worry something into existence? How many know you can give birth to fear? And I, I hate to even say that, but it's true. You know? What are you talking about, Jeremiah? How many know that you ever been afraid that you were going to fall on something? And, you know, and if, you, if you keep worrying and you're, keep scared, you're keeping being afraid, then bless God, that's what's going to happen. You know, and I, I even catch myself sometimes when Eli's running around. Like, even last night, he just, ah! He's just running around, right? I'm just running, and which is great, and he should. He's a kid. But, but what, what happens to me sometimes, man, here comes the enemy. He's going to fall and hit his head. He's going to fall and hit his head. He's going to fall. How many know I can't sit there and worry and give place to that? i got to rise up, man, and i got to guard my heart. Amen? And, and so I say all that to, to, to show us that mi- the word sin is the word harmation. It means to miss the mark, really. They're, missing the mark is everywhere, okay? If we didn't have grace, there's no way we'd make it, okay? But you've been given grace to put you in a place where sin doesn't have to have dominion over your life, and that includes worry and fear. Can I get an amen? You don't have to live in fear, and you don't have to live in worry. You don't have to. Rah! Flip the table. You don't have to. That's how I feel like, because like, we don't have to, man. You know what? And I also, I don't, have to, I don't have to allow the political climate of this nation to rob my life of peace. I don't have to let it do it. If it does do it, it's because I gave it permission. Because here's the thing. I don't, I don't have control over anybody. I don't have control over anybody. I don't have control over anybody. I'm not called to control anybody. I'm called to control me. And really, you know how I control me? I stop trying to control me and I yield myself to the Lord. Because the Lord's the only one that can control me. <laughs> Amen. And, and, and so, so what that allows me to do is now I can pray. How I many do need to pray, though? We need to pray for our country. We need to pray for each other, pray for our kids, pray for everybody. We want to do that because when you're praying, you're giving it to God. Because self works, or it's, flesh wants to take it back. I'm in control. No, no, no. Give it to the Lord. And how I many know it comes back? No, no. Give it to the Lord. When you trust God, you're in a place of rest. I encourage you to trust God with the election. Amen? Vote for who you're going to vote for, you know? Um, I I will never, ever tell you who to vote for. Ever. Because it's none of my business. I will preach the gospel and point you to Jesus and, and let God lead you where you need to be led. Amen? I'm never going to tell you how much to give. I'm never, I'm, the, the, these things aren't my, this isn't my category. My category is to point you to Jesus and let you hear God for yourself. 
If I'm successful as a pastor, you'll have your own relationship with God and you'll be spirit-led. But anything outside of that is me trying to take control of something that's really none of my business to control. And so even, even what's going on with the election, what's going on with your kids, what's going on with your finances, what's going on with your health, as you give it to the Lord, you enter into a place of rest. But there is a labor sometimes to get to that place. And as I drove here this morning, I had to labor to not be in fear for my family because the stupid devil was trying to punch me in the mouth. And so punch back. <laughs> Hit him with the sword of the Spirit. Now, I, I got, it, it got off me, and I was fine, but I had a season where I had to battle and get into a place of rest. Because ultimately, faith will always bring rest. Always. Amen? Um, praise God. God's hijacking this message, isn't He? It's all good. Let, let's, let's finish here. And so... Um, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that includes worry and fear and all those things, that you should obey it in its lusts, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Now, what does that mean in a very, just very practical sense? Here's the thing. If you've received Jesus as Lord and Savior, you are righteous here. Can I get an amen? You're the righteousness of God. By, by here, I'm just talking about like your spirit. But how many know that we want our members um, to obey the, the righteousness that's on the inside of us, not sin, right? How many know that as a righteous man, I can do righteous things with my hands? I can do righteous things with my feet. I can do righteous things with my mouth. I can do righteous things. And... and the, the intention of the gospel is to place the seed of Christ on the inside of you, make you the righteousness of God, and then service your mind to where you believe that you're the righteousness of God and you believe that you're a child of God. And then as a result, how many know right believing leads to right living? You know, the reason I, the reason I got set free from drug addiction because I found out I wasn't a drug addict anymore. I was a child of God. And so deliverance is always going to come as a result of identity but we, we have a choice to make. Our members can yield themselves to unrighteousness or our members can yield themselves to righteousness. Can you get an amen? Now, when your members yield themselves to unrighteousness, it doesn't change the fact that you're the righteousness of God. Can I get an amen? Salvation is not a band-aid that's easily ripped off. You, you, have, uh, you have an eternal righteousness that's been given to you as a gift. And so, I'll read that again. Do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law but under grace. Y'all starting to see all this in context? <clears throat> he says, what then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And he says, certainly not. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness." I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. So the reason he's using a slave analogy is he's saying, you know what, before you were born again, before you were a child of God, you were a slave to unrighteousness. You were compelled. 
But now you've been made the righteousness of God. Now yield, yield yourself uh, to that righteousness. Yield yourself to the leading of the Spirit. And how many know that that happens out of a place of relationship? True Christian maturity is being Spirit-led. Not law-demanded. Spirit-led. Amen? And, and, and in order to be Spirit-led, you accurately, you have to get your heart established in righteousness and become and get skilled in righteousness and get your heart established in grace. And that's where the Gospel comes in. Amen? And, and it's, it's so it's interesting because as you become spirit-led, the Bible says that God will write His laws in your mind and upon your hearts, and you start living out of a place of desire. It's so cool, man. It's so much better than the old way. And so now, like, just do what you want. Be loved and do what you want. And your want-tos will actually line up with love. You'll want to be a blessing. You'll want to be a giver. You'll want to be someone who prays. You'll want to be someone who <coughs> shares their faith. You'll want to do these things, okay? And then, in the Spirit leading, every once in a while, God will give you a... What's that? God writing on, your, on the tablet of your heart, don't do that. I was presented with, with, with what appeared to be a great opportunity in ministry here recently. And um, um, someone had offered to do this for me and do that for me and do this for me and all this stuff. And it looked amazing. But down here, er, what happened? Through the Spirit-led life, God said, don't do that. Now, I could have pushed through and done it anyway. But I've done that enough times to know that my way is not the best way. Logically, it looked like the right thing to do. But down here, don't do that. Yes, sir. Why do I say yes, sir? Because I found out he loves me. And I found out my forgiveness is not on the line. I found out my identity is not on the line. I found out my salvation is not on the line. But my sonship, he loves me and he's my dad. And if he wants to correct me, I welcome it. Because the only way I'm going to walk in wisdom and victory is if I let God father me. And so when the Lord says no, I say okay. Now, I wasn't always like that. It took me years to get anywhere near where I'm at now because I didn't have a natural father. And, and, and it can be a challenge when you didn't have a positive male authority figure in your life to really receive correction from God. Um, but I'll tell you right now, God can take the fatherless and turn them into someone who knows a loving father. Because I'm an example of it. And so now, down here, when I get that urn, nope, no thanks. We're not doing that. I don't care how good that looks. Yeah. Amen. And that's a spirit-led life. And, and, so, and so, here's the thing. God will never lead you into sin. Yeah. He just won't do it. Why? Because He loves you too much. And so, the more you get good, or not good, but practiced, in refusing temptation and refusing sin, <clears throat> I think it elevates your ability to be spirit led. What are you talking about, Jeremiah? Well, how many know that in order to step into sin and in order to operate in sin and behavior, I'm not talking about your identity, how many know you got to push against the Spirit of God to get there? Unless you've done it for so long that you become comfortable in it. Y'all tracking me here? And it's in that place where God wants to 
awake you to righteousness in that place of failure so that you'll realize this isn't who you are. How I many you know people, there are people who spent their, soul, their, their life, they've spent so much of their lives being angry that they don't know any other way to be. But in that place, God wants to show you that's not who you are. Amen? And so, the Spirit of God will never lead us into a place of temptation, will never lead us into a place of sin. God wants us to follow His unction, follow His leading, follow His wisdom, so that He'll spare us from those things. But now, here's the thing. <clears throat> How many know when you fail, your forgiveness is a sure thing? Love of God's a sure thing. Grace is a sure thing. Amen? Amen. That, that will never be taken away from you. And so he goes on to say, Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, yet you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine. What form of doctrine? Grace. I mean, what's the grace of God that teaches you to deny ungodliness? The grace of God is what sets us free from the dominion of sin to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh, but just as you have presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. What does it mean to be holy? It just means to be set apart. It just means to be different. How I many you know you're called to be different? We're not, and that's not the way you look, it's the way you, it's the way you carry yourself. It's the love, it's the peace, it's the joy, right? It says, for when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. What fruit did you have then in the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. Here's the thing, sin brings death to the believer and to the unbeliever. Amen. How many of you know sin unchecked kills? It'll kill relationships, it'll kill finances, it'll kill joy. Amen. And so, we don't want that. We want, we want life, we don't want death. It says, but now you've been set free from sin, having become slaves of God, and you have your fruit to holiness, and the end, everlasting life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. And then... Titus 2.11 says, The grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us to denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So grace will teach you how to be set free from the dominion of sin. And so any, any message, and getting back to the beginning in, in Jude, it says, and I'll read it to you, For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness, and denying the Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. So any message <clears throat> that presents itself as a message of grace or under the banner of grace, but says that sinful actions are okay and there's no such thing as sin, that's not the true gospel. Amen? And um, that's a perversion and that's not the real thing. Amen? It's one thing to struggle with something and want help. It's another thing to embrace something that's wrong and declare that it's right. And I've seen a lot of people, unfortunately, a lot of ministers in, in, in gray circles begin to embrace things that, that, are, that are wrong and say that it's okay. And here, I'm, I'm, this is what I'm going to do here, real quick, and we're, we're done. But I'm going to read to you Jude, and I'm not even going to expound. I'm just going to read it to you real quick, because 
when you're embracing something that Scripture says is wrong, you've got two choices to make. Well, really, you only have one. You have to attack Scripture. And say, ah, that Bible, man, it's not really truth. Because, and here's the thing, if you're going to throw out the Bible, then don't, don't use the Bible to justify anything that you have to say. <laughs> Either embrace it or throw it out. Don't do both. Amen. Now, as I make this statement, I understand you've got to rightly divide the truth. You've got to study the Greek. You've got to study the Hebrew. You've got to understand the covenants. How many of you know not everything in Scripture is for you? How many of you know the Bible says in the Old Covenant, don't eat pork? How many know you're not under the Old Covenant? Can I get an amen? amen? We eat a couple pounds of pork every Saturday at my house. It's a thing. And I love, it's probably Eli's second favorite protein. Yeah, taco meat and then bacon. Third's probably beans. And that's it. That's all he really eats as far as that stuff is concerned. But check it out. How I many you know that Old Testament, that ain't for you, right? But the Scriptures are here for us, man, to teach us and to instruct us in, in, in righteousness and to help us. But I'm just going to read this and we're going to close. I'm just going to read it. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who were called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered for all the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men who turned the grace of our Lord into lewdness and denied the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you that though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who do not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah, and as the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and gone after strange flesh, and are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, speak evil of dignitaries, Yet Michael, the archangel, in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally like brute beasts. In these things they have corrupted themselves. Woe to them! They've gone in the way of Cain. They've run greedily in the air of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts, while they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves. They are clouds without water, carried about with winds, like late autumn trees without fruit. Twice dead, pulled up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Abed, prophesied about these men, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousand of his saints, to execute judgment on all, to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking according to their own lusts, and their mouths speak great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. 
But you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that there would be mockers in the last times who would walk according to their ungodliness, lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the Spirit. But you, beloved. Now, how many know that's, that is straight up calling a spade a spade? Amen? And, and, and anyway, but you, I said I wasn't going to preach. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And some have compassion, making a, disti- making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to our God and Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. That is the last uh, epistle um, before Revelations. And uh, it's, it, it's a troubleshooting epistle on what's going on today. How many know right's still right and wrong's still wrong? But how many know the grace of God set us free from our mistakes? Amen. And grace will always empower you to be free from sin, not empower you to maintain it. Amen. All right. Praise God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, quickly... Uh, let's turn to Second um, Corinthians chapter nine. We have conducted our our uh, teaching on this, and uh, we'll, like I said, we'll move on, and uh, we're going to take a look at uh, some of the things that I was talking about earlier next week. Um, you know, it's when God highlights something like this, it's important to teach it. But uh, just continue worshiping the Lord in our giving today, and uh, if you guys are, are giving online, you can go to GracePointGeorgetown.com, and uh, you guys can give that way. But I just want to read this passage to you real quick because it's just a beautiful presentation of what giving looks like in the New Covenant. I love it. Um, it says, Therefore I thought it necessary to exhort the brethren to go to you ahead of time and prepare your generous gift beforehand, which you had previously promised, that it might be ready as a matter of generosity and not as grudging obligation. But this I say, he who sows sparingly will reap sparingly also, and he who, re- who sows bountifully will reap bountifully also. So let each one of you give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound towards you, that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. As it is written, he is dispersed abroad, he is given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. Now may he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food supply and multiply the seed you have sown, and increase the fruits of your righteousness. While you are enriched in everything for all freedom, which causes thanksgiving through us to God, for the administration of this service not only supplies the needs of the saints, but also is abounding through many thanksgivings to God. Love that passage, man. It's just so good. Uh, Father, we just thank you and praise you for the opportunity to give, and we just ask you to bless this offering in Jesus' name. Amen.